the readings from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what is better, and it'll not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. We've become an adept of a series on, uh, on the internet, which I think probably originally w- was on Channel 4, but um, is set in the States called Hotel Hell. It's a Gordon Ramsay um, series where Gordon, this great chef, and, um, goes around to different failing hotels, and he finds a failing hotel, and he goes in, and he, um, with all the expletives that he uses normally, um, he declares how terrible this hotel is. And then, and then he proceeds to try and coach the owners and the, and the staff in this hotel so that the hotel can be turned around. And uh, if uh, it goes according to plan, and that's not always the case, uh, then things go um, at the end. You, you've got a sense of an uplift and a sense of excitement and joy, whereas at the beginning of the program, it's just absolute chaos and catastrophe. Well, there's one of these uh, programs that's set in Vermont um, in, on the eastern coast of the states, and um, the owner of the hotel called Sandy is completely and utterly submerged with what has to be done for his hotel. He's totally uh, discouraged and depressed. In fact, so much so that he's, he's so stressed that, that systematically, every day, he's the one who's in the kitchen. He's the owner. He's meant to be there looking after... He's in the kitchen. He's got his... He's got his head down, he's cleaning the plates, he's trying to make the food, he's trying to do everything. And as a result, it's a complete, it's a complete, it's complete chaos. Uh, the kitchen can't function properly, the, root, the, the, the food is awful. Uh, guests arrive at his hotel and there's nobody to welcome them. Um, instead of taking care of the, of the people, he is completely oblivious to what's actually happening. And uh, things... Fortunately, change in that particular episode, and actually quite nice to see how things are able to turn around as he slowly sort of opens his eyes to the reality of how bad things are in order then to step out of his wrong role and step into the right role. He takes off his apron and, he's, and he promises his team that he will no longer ever be seen in the kitchen and he will now be there welcoming his guests, taking time for them and actually doing the role that he's called to do. And as a result, the, the hotel turns around. It's, it's a complete change. Now, today's passage does not feature Gordon Ramsay. But it is a similar picture. Um, Mary and Martha have a very special guest coming to their home. And um, Martha, for one, wants everything to be just perfect. And as a result, she is um, so stressed... I mean, it isn't just just a a Michelin-starred chef who's coming. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Lord, the Master, the Rabbi, the Teacher, the Prophet. Jesus is coming to their home. 
And understandably, she, she's completely stressed out. Everything has to be the best for Jesus. Well, of course it does. Don't we want the best for Jesus? And so I like to imagine her just like running around, desperately trying to organize everything and everyone, especially in the kitchen. And in the process, she completely neglects her special guest. Now, before we get too quickly into criticizing Martha, we're going to take a little bit of a step back. Because actually, there's something very, very special about Martha in this passage. Just look with me if you've got your Bibles open. Look at the first verse of our passage, all right? Verse 38. This is how it goes. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. Incidentally, we know that's Bethany, just near Jerusalem. A village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Let's just stop there. Here's an extraordinary thing. Martha opened her home to Jesus. Have you opened your home to Jesus? Isn't that an incredible thing? Don't don't rush too far and too fast to criticize Martha. She's done a beautiful thing. It's because of that beautiful thing that Jesus is going to speak with her with, with tenderness, affection. She's opened her home to him. That's the sign of, of discipleship. It's the sign of responding. Think back a few weeks to the meal that we were celebrating in our minds with Levi, the first, one of the first disciples. Levi called by Jesus. What's the first thing he does? He opens his home to Jesus. And he sets the table. And they celebrate with friends. Jesus, who turns everything around, who changes lives. And it starts when we open our home to him. Later on, we'll see it again with another person who turns to Jesus called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, in fact, doesn't have much choice. Jesus invites himself. But Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed and delighted that he's a changed man. He's turned upside down because Jesus comes to his home. And of course, we know very well that opening our home to Jesus is a sign of our opening our heart to him. Friends, that's where it all begins. That's where being a disciple starts, when you open your heart to Jesus. And figuratively, that means you're opening your life, you're opening everything you have to him and and opening your home, that seat of your relationships, that, that place of safety where you can be yourself. That is what Martha did. Now, that is amazing. It's the beginning. Martha's understood something. Martha's understood she's on she's on the way. She's walking with Jesus, letting him in despite the mess and the disorder. She's inviting him to join her and her sister in a meal. Wonderful. Martha's on the right path. And that's our starting point. You see that. We need to do that. I mean, there's no point looking at Jesus from the outside. He needs to come in. 
And we can do any manner of things for Jesus, but if we haven't invited him into our home and into the seat and the heart of our lives, we've not understood the beginning of discipleship. Martha invites Jesus into her home, but she has a problem. Let's look on. Verse 40. Jump to verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. There's the problem. She started well. She's invited Jesus to her home. But she then very quickly gets distracted. Of course she is. I mean, imagine just for a moment, it's Jesus coming later on today to your home. Just imagine it. He's coming at four o'clock this afternoon to your home. What are you going to do? Well, of course you're going to want to tidy up, aren't you? You're going to want to set things right. Oh my goodness, I didn't make the bed before coming to church. My goodness, I haven't got coffee there ready for him. I need to bake some biscuits. I need to, I need to get things ready, tidy up, set the table, get things right, make sure the music's right, dust a little bit, tidy a little bit, sweep up, get things right, because Jesus is coming to town. He's not just coming to town, he's coming four o'clock this afternoon. He'll be in your home. There's so much to do. Come on, hurry up, get the, get the, the church service over with. I've got to get back. Maybe I'll skip lunch. Get the broom out, the hoover, everything. Well, that's exactly what Martha is doing. Let's not criticize her for it. And what is more, you've got Jesus coming at four o'clock this afternoon and none of your family are even bothering to do anything. They're not lifting a finger. They're sitting there discussing. Well, how would you respond? I'll tell you how I'd respond. I'd get jolly frustrated with them. Get frustrated enough with my own children when they don't tidy up their plates. Actually, they do. But imagine. And that's Martha. She's angry. She's angry towards her sister, who seems blissfully unaware of what's going on, of the need, of all the work to do. In fact, Jesus has arrived and he's, he's sitting there in the front room with his disciples and Martha's standing there, she's listening in. Nothing's ready, Martha. Uh, Mary, sorry, Mary's there. Ma nothing's ready. And so Martha is, is frantic. Nothing will be ready for Jesus. The meal will not be ready when he comes to a pause in his teaching and they need to move to the table. Nothing will be ready. Not the table, not the food, Nothing. So what on earth is she doing there? What sort of a host is that? So finally Martha's patience snaps. She storms in. Perhaps she does it with a semblance of peace and dignity. But she interrupts Jesus. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do everything by myself? Please at least tell her to come and help me. Do you see that? Verse 40. It snapped. At least she does the right thing. She turns to Jesus in her frustration, asks for help. And this is where something really extraordinary happens in this story because there's an embarrassed pause. 
Jesus has been teaching with his disciples in the front room. Suddenly Martha comes and, and it's an awkward moment. How's Jesus going to handle this? Suddenly the, the, the baby's passed to him. And all the disciples are thinking, whoa, didn't see that one coming. And Jesus turns to Martha, verse 41. And there is such tenderness, such tenderness in his voice. We know that because he says her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what exactly is going on? What is the one thing that Mary has chosen that is better? Is it better not to be assuming your responsibilities and helping the sister in the kitchen? Is that the one thing that's better? Getting out of the household chores? Surely Jesus can't be criticizing Martha's servant heart, can he? Often this passage is seen as encouraging a, a contemplative as opposed to a really active lifestyle. Stop doing, start being. Is that it? I'm sure there's something of that in there. But is sitting quietly and listening a better choice than standing and serving? Well, I think to actually understand, we need to uh, go back and look at what is really upsetting Martha. What is it that's really upsetting her? What is Mary actually doing? If you look with me at verse 39, this is where it says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. The problem you see for Martha is not what Mary's not doing, it's what she is doing. It isn't the, the fact that Martha has a huge workload in the kitchen and, and that Mary isn't helping her. That was, of course, a real enough problem. And that was the problem that Martha pointed out. But it seems pretty clear from the text that that was only an excuse. The really shocking thing, the really big problem for Martha was that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he was saying. Now, why would that be a problem? Well, first of all, because Mary was behaving like a man. You have to understand that in that culture, houses were divided into two parts. You had the male space and the female space. The male space was the public room where men gathered. The other rooms were private and they were reserved for the women and the kitchen was part of that. And those spaces were very strictly separated. 
In that culture, you didn't mix them. In fact, in the culture, the only mixing between male and female was between children or married couples. And so for a woman, Mary, to settle down comfortably among the men was really scandalous. Can you see, Mary has suddenly stepped into a role which is not her own. She's assumed something, a posture. But it actually goes further than that. Because not only has Mary contravened social, cultural rules, but she's also, well, she's not just there listening, but she's come to the center. The text tells us, look again, verse 39, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Right? She's not just standing there at the doorway, listening in as Jesus talks to his disciples. She's come to the middle. I mean, how awkward is that? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. You cannot get closer than that. She's right in the heart of the thing. She's come uninvited. Notice that in most cases in the Gospels, Jesus invites people to follow him. He hasn't invited Mary. She's just done it herself. As he's teaching, she's worked her way in and she's suddenly at the heart of the thing, sitting at his feet. She has adopted the posture of a disciple. Sitting at someone's feet is a technical term in Greek and in Hebraic culture to mean a disciple. A disciple sat at the feet of their master. They would learn from the rabbi. It's not just so you can look up in wonder. Sitting at the feet was the posture of the disciple who wanted to learn with the objective and the aim of every disciple which was to one day become a rabbi yourself and teach others. And Mary has adopted that posture. That's the shocking thing. She's quietly infiltrated this meeting. She's taken her place in the center as a disciple and therefore as a would-be teacher and preacher in the kingdom of God. Do you see that? No wonder Martha is worried and upset. I mean, it's one thing to invite Jesus into your home. It's quite another to put yourself in the center and to assume the role that you're one day going to be the one who's teaching others. And yet here's the absolutely extraordinary thing in this passage. Jesus doesn't gently tell Mary that perhaps it's the moment for her to go and help prepare. He commends her. She has understood the one thing. She has chosen what is better. Do you see? Mary understood that she too could be a disciple. Even her. And that the posture, she'd understood that the posture of a disciple 
of Jesus is always sitting at his feet, listening to what he says. That's what she's understood. And that's the better way that Martha needs to understand. Martha, for all her servant-heartedness and her, her generosity and her longing to invite Jesus into her home, all great and good, she hasn't yet understood that she too can sit at Jesus' feet and listen and learn. She's so desperate to get everything right that she has forgotten her guest. Dispersed, distracted by so many things. And so Jesus looks at Martha with love in his eyes. That's how I see it. And he says, Martha, Martha, I did not come for a four-star Michelin meal. Few things are needed. A simple meal will do. Just get some bread and cheese. Perhaps some leftovers. Or maybe, maybe some bread and wine. In fact, actually only one thing is really needed. That's that you come here and just spend time at my feet. Sitting. Listening. Me and you. Let's talk. Let's be together. I have things I want to share with you. That's the one thing. The better way. Now, of course, Martha is a type of person, yeah? In fact, she represents what all of us are at times. Because we all get distracted, don't we? Especially in today's world where there are so many other things. So many things. And yet one thing is needed. So like Martha, we start well. Many of us have, have chosen to invite Jesus into our home. Into our lives. And yet, so many things. So many other things to do first before spending time with him, sitting at his feet. So many things before praying, before listening. All good things. But you know just as well as I do. We start with good intentions and then, oh, oh yes, I must do that. And I'll just tidy that up. And I'll just check my emails. Oh, oh, dangerous. And we get distracted. And, and all that time, Jesus is waiting there. And he's looking at us and he's saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. But only one thing is needed. And as disciples of Jesus, we have to learn that one thing. Now, now Luke has actually taken a, an episode that didn't happen at this point in the story. We know that because 
We know that Jesus is going around in Galilee, and we know that Martha and Mary lived in Bethany, which is just next to Jerusalem. So Luke has actually deliberately put this passage at this point in the story. Why? Because immediately after this point, the disciples are going to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And they're going to do it as they see Jesus taking time out to be with his Father. The text says, beginning of chapter 11, Jesus went out to a particular place to pray. And that's when the disciples say, Lord, help us. They see themselves in Martha. And yet they long to be Mary. But they need help. Because they've understood, as we must surely understand, that sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he is saying, is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. It means putting prayer at the heart of our lives. And it is so difficult. There are so many things to do. Slowing down to consciously spend time with him. Listening, learning, taking time. Friends, our relationship with God will not grow if we do not spend time with Jesus. So how do we do it? Well, here are a couple of things. 2,000 years of wisdom point to three things. One, start every day with prayer. First thing you do, the beginning of the day, the first thing, every day, the first thing, pray. Thank God for a new day. Praise him for his faithfulness. Ask him to set your feet on the right path. Reflect, but just turn yourself to him. It doesn't take long. The first thing. And then the last thing you do every day is pray. As your head hits the cushion, the pillow, as you're just getting ready to go to sleep, you pray. You review the day. You say thank you. You worship the Lord. You look for the things he's done, the signs of his presence. And in between the two, you find time every day to be with Jesus. It means carving out a space. Now, for all of us, that will be different. But regular time with Jesus every day is not a luxury in the Christian life. It's absolutely essential if we want to grow. Spending time with Jesus. It doesn't have to be long. At the moment, that is good for you. But here's the thing. We are like Martha. We are so distracted by so many things. Therefore, here's the Spirit's wisdom. We need to be intentional. 
We need to decide ahead of time, when is the time when we are best with the Lord? When can we carve out a moment? Perhaps it's in the lunch break. Perhaps it's walking to work. Perhaps it's in the tube. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's before a meal. When do you have that space? And when can you carve out a moment every day, intentionally giving time to Jesus? If we do not do it, friends, we will not grow. And in that time, we listen. We soak ourselves in scripture every day. Maybe just one verse. Maybe a passage. And we listen. We develop the habit of just taking time. Now, I know how hard that is. I'm a Martha too. I know how impossible that is when you've got young children. Because however early you rise in the morning, they rise with you. I know how hard it is. But I also know that it's possible when we ask God to help us carve out time, even just 10 minutes, where we stop and we give time to Jesus. 2,000 years of wisdom tell us to start the day with prayer, end the day with prayer, and carve out a moment regularly where we listen and we plunge into Scripture and we ask God to speak to us. And then we make the connection between those three moments intentional, so we can learn to be Mary and learn from the mistakes of Martha. But there's just one other thing. To go back to our passage, does this, does this mean that we shouldn't ever be in the kitchen? Of course not. No, it means if we're having regular times with Jesus, then that we learn to be in the kitchen with him. We learn that his spirit is with us in whatever we're doing. And we begin to do things, not out of stress and worry about so many things, but out of trust and confidence because he's with us. Here's uh, someone we can learn from, another, another chef, not Gordon Ramsay, but a guy called Brother Lawrence. He was a an obscure 17th century Carm, um, Carmelite, French Carmelite monk. <laughs> there you go. So it was before social media. And he was in his monastery and he was given the rather thankless task of preparing the food and cleaning the dishes. That's all he was given as his task. He couldn't do anything else. And what did he choose to do? Well, he, choose, he chose to invite God into that. And specifically to ask God to reveal his presence in the midst of that, in the kitchen. And he developed what he called the, the practice of the presence of God. Learning to discern God's presence in normal things. This is the poem he wrote. It says this, O Lord of pots and pans and things, since I have no time to be a great saint by doing lovely things or watching late with thee or dreaming in the dawn light or storming heaven's gates. Make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love. Light it with thy peace. Forgive me all my worrying and make my grumbling cease. Thou who didst love to give men food in room or by the sea, accept the service that I do. I do it unto thee. And this is what he said. He said, we need only to recognize God intimately present with us to address ourselves to him in every moment 
that we may beg his assistance for knowing his will in things doubtful and for rightly performing those which we plainly see he requires of us, offering them to him before we do them, offering prayers to him before we do them and giving him thanks when we have done. So simple. The good news is we can invite the Lord into whatever we're doing, even the kitchen. But it comes out of those times of sitting. So we end. Martha, Mary. Listen, the good news is Martha learned the lesson. Martha learned the lesson. We know that because we know from the Gospels that Martha and Mary's house becomes a second home for Jesus. Every time he's passing by Bethany, he goes and he stays with them. And what he discovers there is it's not great Michelin-star restaurant, you know, food. This is normal home food. And Martha understood that to welcome Jesus is to welcome a friend. To welcome Jesus is to discover another member of the family. Jesus comes and has a meal with you. You don't put on airs and graces. You don't need to tidy up and make an effort. You just invite him to sit at table. That's what he likes. Martha and Mary developed the beautiful habit of being ready at all times for Jesus to come. Jesus knew that he could just turn up whenever he wanted. Isn't that a great image? Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus became intimate friends of Jesus. Their home was his home. And every time he came, Martha would drop what she was doing and welcome him. She'd learned her lesson. We know that because in John's gospel, when a great family tragedy hits them and Lazarus is ill and then dies. As soon as Martha hears Jesus is near, the text tells us he, she runs to Jesus. She leaves the kitchen. She has to be with him. She's learned the lesson. And so it is with us, friends. When we learn the rhythms of sitting at Jesus' feet in the easy times when tragedy befalls us, we know where to turn. These are lessons of discipleship we cannot afford not to learn. And so we end, before we come to communion, with an invitation. Have you opened your home to Jesus? Do you take time to sit at his feet? Are you learning to discern his presence in everyday things even in the kitchen. It doesn't have to be stressful. The kitchen can be a place of joy when we discover that Jesus is there. Let's just take a moment in silence, shall we? And as we sit and perhaps close our eyes, would you just welcome Jesus sitting next to you? Because he's here. And in a moment, we're going to share a meal with him. But first he asks us to welcome him into our home.